You have 24 minutes, the podcast from 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. In this edition of 24 Minutes, I speak with Christina Gil Venegas, an urban planner and lighting designer from Bogota, Colombia. Christina believes that cultural anchoring or a socially oriented approach is important when it comes to addressing the real needs of people. To begin, when asked if she felt this nuanced approach was uncommon among other planners and lighting designers, she replied, Yes, and also for uh, decision makers, uh, it's really hard like, to convince a decision maker to take more time in order like, to connect with the community, to listen the citizens. So uh, in terms of productivity, uh, when you are like a decision maker, People also evaluate your work based on numbers. So how many parks, how many squares, how many public spaces are you opening? And that uh, build like a gap between like, are you approaching to the real needs of that people? Or are you just answering to the numbers and to the this urgent thing about being more productive and construct better places and more places? So that is a really tricky part because if you are a planner that want to connect with people and answer to the real needs of that community, you have to also convince the decision makers that you are not going just like the structural work, uh, the infrastructure work, but you also have to take the time that it takes months in order like to connect the community to the people really believe in you and not just to fill some interviews, just to check that point. And also that is more consuming time, more energy timing, and also more time. Uh, you have to put more time and effort to build that. Yeah. And when you're talking about decision makers, you're talking maybe about um city officials or even uh, uh, corporations who are building places. So you're you're talking about anybody who's determining the cost and the timeline and how much are we going to spend? What can we do? How fast can this happen? So you're talking really any decision maker or are you talking specifically about a city official? I was talking about the city officials okay. because that is also related to regulation. Yeah, And I think that we have a really important opportunity now at least in Bogota because we have a new regulation that is going to rule for 12 years from now what and is that this, uh, it it is the name is pot pot is like the plan for the regulation of the territory of Bogota so, I read about that that's right yeah yeah, yeah. And, and that um this is a regulation that tells you how to uh, design the city like yes have the really uh, main principles of how to uh, plan the city so well, that sounded i read some of the i think i read some of that literature and it seemed to me to be very forward thinking very progressive do you agree yes but still there are really a big gap between uh -huh. um, the regulation and the yeah and the reality of bogota of course, yes, right. Let me ask you this other question. When we're talking yeah. again about this kind of cultural anchoring or this socially oriented approach, do you find that Colombian or um, Latino cultures embrace this philosophy 
more than European or Anglo cultures? I think that we are forced to do it. <laughs> well, what do you mean? Uh, because um, I think that uh, our government uh, has not the capacity to answer to all the needs of the citizens. So in that way, we have to rely also in other actors, not just the public sectors. So in that way, you have to um, involve the citizens and the communities because to be realistic, the government and even if they join to the private sector is not going to be enough to really fulfill all the needs of the people and the citizens. So in order like, to fulfill all the needs of the citizens, you need to involve them. And that's uh, the role that's a role you have or others who are doing the work like you're doing that to fill that gap. Yes, exactly. And mm -hmm. it's like we need all the people to come together in order to this can be a reality. Because uh, when I was like studying about public spaces during the daytime, there are many efforts that many citizens have been doing uh, in places that even the government doesn't know about these improvements. So sure. do you find that again, when talking about spaces at night for women, predominantly that this again, this kind of responsive, socially oriented, culturally anchored process is more common among female urban planners than male urban planners? Yes, I think so. Because when I was studying lighting design, I realized that we are more women taking the lighting design course, but we still are designing um, the public space in in like following the same rules that it used to be. So it's really, I don't know how to say this, but it's kind of tricky. Like I'm a lighting designer, but I don't feel comfortable uh, dwelling in uh, public spaces at night. So what am I doing about studying this field? It's just something like I'm going to be in this bubble when I'm, I'm thinking about lighting design and all these opportunities, but still I'm not going to use the public space at night when I'm feeling like a citizen. So I think that is a contradictory situation. And I have been seeing that women are more into architecture and lighting design feel even more than in architecture, but still we have this tendency that women are not allowed to be at night in public spaces. Mm. And if something happens, the blame is on us. So I was, I feel this really contradictory. So what what is the point to study lighting design or to be training these kind of fields if I'm not going to be allowed to use these places or these uh, public areas that I'm designing? So, well, that's yeah. a perfect segue because I wanted to ask you next about Nighttime Traveler. What is it and how did this come about? This came about because this conflict between my mind. Like uh, I was uh, at the campus doing these lighting installations at urban places, uh, trying to understand how the light feels and how people interact like other students with these installations we had been doing with other students. And then I was like, I was going to the city, but I wasn't feeling so 
uh, comfortable because I'm used to have this feeling like if I'm going to be outside at night, I have to be with someone. Mm. But in that place, I didn't know someone. So <laughs> I needed to go out. And then the winter came. It's almost all the time dark in Stockholm. If I wanted to explore the city after my classes, I had to do it at night. That was like baby steps for me in order like to feel comfortable in the city at night. And then I, I reflect about that and I was like, how can I be more, more comfortable in these places at night with the things I'm studying? Right. And then I asked another friends about it and they told me they felt the same. So I was, okay, I'm not crazy. I'm not just the one that is feeling this way. Right. And even partners from Europe, because I was like, oh, maybe it's a Latin American thing and it's a cultural thing and it's like different, yeah, different perspective of the, about the nighttime. And it's not. And it's not. And I was like, oh my God, this is real. This is yeah. not just my perception from a girl from Colombia uh, being in Europe for, yeah, for this time. What do you hope to, what did you hope to accomplish? I mean, the Nighttime Traveler now, is it an ongoing project or is it just research that's completed? Or is this, this is also kind of coming, becoming a consultancy for you, isn't it? It's an ongoing process. I okay. work uh, in the city government now. Okay, okay, and, okay. Yeah, and I'm working in the Innovation Laboratory of Public Space. Oh, very uh, nice. In Bogota. So, yeah, but I, I was trying like to talk about this topic at the office and telling them, okay, I'm really interested about the nighttime and especially in urban spaces. So if we are talking about innovation laboratory, we should include this topic in some way, in some pilot or project or something like that. And it has been really tricky to uh, include that. I'm still working on how to convince them to do a project in this way because we have been doing this community approach during the daytime, I but see. during the nighttime. I we see. Yeah. In, yeah. Well, and the, but the other thing I think that Nighttime Traveler is doing is also putting the conversation out there and raising visibility yeah. to the issue. This is how I came across you. I, I came across uh, some reference to Nighttime Traveler and I think an article that was about you in ARC magazine. Yeah. And I went, oh my goodness, this is perfect. This this is an issue. We want women to joy, enjoy the night as much as we want men to. It's not like women don't also have money to spend. It's not like women don't also love to go to places at night and socialize and they want to feel safe. Lighting is important. And my sense is that if the night's designed for women, it's designed for everybody. Yes. Okay. Well, what evidence have you seen so far of any other change as a result of your work in uh, for on this nighttime traveler project? Have you seen other people go, oh, I get it now? We have this women in lighting uh, team. Oh. And now we have this in when an ambassador in Colombia, because this is started like in the UK with Sharon, uh, yes. And in this way, uh, like we are gathering like even each month or something like that, we are trying to talk about lighting design from different perspectives. So when we are like in this meeting, knowing each other, 
uh, I was talking about this interest I have in the nighttime planning. And they say, yes, that is really interesting. And we are lighting designers. We are usually focused in the interior design or architectural design. But it's not so common uh, to have this approach in urban lighting. And also uh, all all these women don't feel comfortable about being outside. So uh, I think that, as you say, like just to have the discussion, like, for who are we designing for the right. cities is is like the starting point for that. And I was talking about the numbers, for example, in Bogota, yeah. like 52% of the citizens, uh, we are women. So it's really tricky because like, for who are we designing for again? What have you learned as you've surveyed people, surveyed women about how they interact with the night, especially while, while traveling? What what should welcoming cities want to prioritize for women at night? I think that uh, starting from the cultural perspective, like I I I have feel a judge about going outside at night. Mm. When it's after night and I'm in a place when I can walk home and people say, how do you dare to walk there alone? So if we stop that first uh, limit perspective, uh, I think that we can um, feel more free about to be in the city. Other thing we have been reading about is how the um, being able to follow these landmarks and locate yourself in the city also right. you call those uh, uh, light, um, illuminated reference points and you also refer to them as light pathways yes how, how do you do that that you get how do you do that how do you create a, a light pathway and these landmarks that are illuminated at night that give women the sense of of uh, of comfort and knowing that they're not wandering someplace where might not be as safe for them how do you do that yes i think that uh, this is a way of feel safe or locate yourself in the space because also feels really tricky like for example in bogota when it's daytime uh, if you get lost you can see like the hills if you see the hills you you can locate yourself okay this is the north this is the south this is the city center but during the night, this disappears. So if you are like in the plain area, you can see like some landmarks in the city center that you can locate some uh, ancient buildings with this upper part lit. But after some point, because of the height of the buildings, you can see that. So I think that you have to identify more of these lighting objects that help you to locate. And also I was interviewing a couple of students and they told me about the color and the division of the city. So they told me, okay, maybe if we are in an area that is called Suba, maybe that could be the color orange or anyone. And if you are in the city center, that could be a blue one. And this color identity also helps you like to locate like the activity, the area. And yes, it's kind of guide the people without speaking or talking because it's also tricky like to ask for help uh, to someone. You're, right. you're sure if they are going to be 
be helpful or not. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, that's a great idea. Well, let's. I want to talk about you for a second. When you were a young girl, did you say to yourself one day, I want to be an internationally respected lighting expert for urban spaces at night? What drew you toward architecture to begin with, and then towards the niche of urban lighting for the night? Okay, for architecture, I think it was my father. And my father always wanted to be an architect. Uh, oh. He was really good at doing drawings in the last years of school. And he was really good. So they asked him like to draw the task for them. And he was really happy to do that. So that idea of making uh, a drawing and then being able to build that in a mock-up and then ideally in some realistic way is like something that I have in my mind can be real in the world and people can interact with that. I yeah. think that that is a really amazing thing. I and, agree. Yeah. I agree. And then at what point did you, was it, was it while you were studying at in Stockholm that you lighting and your walks around Stockholm after dark, after school, uh, is that what intrigued you more to focus a bit on lighting or were you already thinking about lighting? I was thinking about lighting when I was working with my second boss. Uh, he is an architect that is focused on heritage buildings. Ah. And I saw his passion like for this respect to the heritage uh, buildings yeah. and all of that. And I was like, oh, I'm in a really nice place to work, but I don't feel that passion. So I was like really looking forward to see what topic I was connected. And I saw in New York, if I'm not wrong, um, some uh, activists uh, about saving some heritage buildings and they didn't have any budget. So they collect some lights and they say, okay, we are going to leave this at night. And as the street is really empty and they're going to demolish these buildings, we are going to highlight them during the night with some lights. And with that movement, they uh, save these uh, buildings from being demolished. Oh, I so I was, yes, I and I was they saved like, some heritage buildings be because they were able to literally shine light on them which brought attention exactly. to them as well oh that's so beautiful like, yeah. if you don't have budget and but you have the passion and light can be anything yeah but even if it's a, a thousand young people standing around the the base of the building with flashlights it's it literally shines a light on the opportunity to save a building now in in your work you have developed three planning modules i want to talk about the technical work that you're doing uh, you've created a methodology called Light as a Tool to help structure some urban planning, a toolkit with didactic tools. And I had to look up didactic. These are tools that also teach you, but they have a sense of purpose too, so that anyone can participate in the design process. This goes back to your socially responsive, culturally responsive planning process. One of the things you came up with is this mapping the nighttime tool that people can download from your website. What does that do? Okay. The first part was like my first step in order like to put together some kind of a structure of how to build a better environments at night. So that was a really academic approach. Mm. So I was happy because I learned a lot 
of how this had been doing from different studios and designers. But at the end, I felt that it was a really too academic point of view with this I structure. Right. So for me, it was really amazing. But I think that the public for this was really reduced because lighting designers, uh, we are not so much and even less in the lighting, in the urban lighting design field. So I was, okay, this is going to be really tricky in order to share this experience because I have been working like the last six or seven years in innovation. So there I learned like the innovation tools have to be a way to communicate with different people. It's a way to low scale, like this technical approach and really involve the citizens uh, in this communication to how to build the city. So I was thinking, okay, I have the structure in a technical way. How can I translate that in something that people can use and other designers can use in urban planning, even though they are not trained in lighting design or even in a, a really expertise in urban planning. Right. So that was like my way to translate this. Okay. So you created this tool that really kind of breaks down the language barrier or the terminology that a citizen might not relate to. And yes. it's something that anybody can use, correct? Yes, that is the idea. I love that. I'm speaking with Christina Gila Venegas. She's the founder of Nighttime Traveler. She's also an architect by training and lighting designer for urban spaces in uh, Bogota, Colombia. Uh, there are several great links that you can go to. Nighttimetraveler.com is a terrific website that gives you a very good sense of, uh, of the Nighttime Traveler project that she's working on as a way to kind of communicate to a larger community the importance of uh, thinking about light and night and urban spaces and particularly women. There's also a Twitter account at Nighttime Traveler W, Instagram account at Nighttime Traveler. And she also has a terrific playlist on Spotify under the name Nighttime Traveler because she told me she loves music and you do. I want to, to leave this podcast interview with you communicating to the folks in North America or wherever around the world that might speak Spanish as to why your approach is particularly relevant to women uh, I don't want to miss the opportunity to communicate to a, a, a section of our population that uh, speaks Spanish and um, might not necessarily be aware of, just like you were talking about, that gap in information. So here's an opportunity for you to fill that gap. What do you want to say to people when they, when you, when you want to talk about why it's important to consider these things for safety, for women, for urban planning, and for lighting? Creo que es una gran oportunidad para poder eh, habitar la noche. Creo que como mujeres siempre hemos tenido una barrera eh, culturalmente hablando de por qué eh, salir a la calle durante la noche y creo que, que realmente debemos atrevernos a habitar la noche, no sentirnos juzgadas de estar en estos espacios y realmente entender que el espacio público no solamente se debe planear para el espacio diurno, sino también para el nocturno, y que en este diseño y en esta planeación de ciudades, antes de preguntarnos el qué hacer en el espacio público, realmente debemos es preguntarnos para quién hacerlo y con quién diseñar. 
Our cities should always tell the story of the people who live there, especially after dark. This has been Season 2, Episode 23 of 24 Minutes from 24 Hour Nation. Visit us online at 24hournation.com and follow us on social media at 24 Hour Nation. My name is Randall White. Thank you.